Welcome to The Bulb, a podcast shedding light on gendered violence. In each edition, we'll explore aspects of this violence. What is thought about it, what we know about it, or what is yet to be revealed. The Bulb is a podcast series brought to you by the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research. Thank you for joining us as we share knowledge to improve the lives of women and their children. Today on The Bulb, I'm joined by Dr. Brian Sullivan, Senior Lecturer at CQ University. Brian is a very valued colleague of ours, and today Brian's going to share with listeners some of his perspectives on the topic that we're exploring this season. Brian, welcome to The Bulb. Good morning, Colleen. Good to be with you. Brian, one of the reasons we're exploring the theme of working with men this season is because there's been such a growth of interest in this area, particularly in terms of research and policy developments. I'm really conscious that you inhabit what I'm going to call a somewhat unique nexus at the intersection of education, research and practice. Could you tell our listeners a little about this nexus and what it looks like for you? Nexus is a, uh, a, lovely, a lovely term, Colleen, a Latin term, which um, means a place of connection, really. Um, not to be confused with another term, farrago, which is a confused mixture. So uh, I hope it's a nexus. Um, and I, I guess the nexus for me in, in the position I, I, I am situated in is on a number of fronts, I feel I'm in a nexus between NGOs and government organisations. Um, I'm, I'm in a nexus between teaching in the domestic and family violence practice program and training outside of that program with NGOs. Um, I'm, I'm also still connected to practice via supervision projects I'm part of at the moment. So I'm still present in men's groups and watching facilitators work. I'm also uh, part of a number of small research projects um, in, in terms of work with perpetrators of domestic and family violence. And um, I'm also part of program development of men's groups and evaluation of men's groups. So I'm I'm on a number of um, boards and committees um, outside of the university too. I'm, I'm on an uh, advisory board with Queensland Police Service. I'm on a couple of advisory committees with the Australian Institute of Criminology. I'm on the board of the Red Rose Foundation. And um, just recently, I've been part of an organising committee for the SPEAK conference here in Queensland. So... Um, yeah, lots of lots of connections, lots of engagement across practice, uh, across teaching, across research, and across engagement with the sector. I guess, Brian. I um I think if they were giving out gold stars for engagement, you'd be possibly head of the queue. But I'm also visualising that your nexus, uh, were it to be a, a a traffic location, could be a very busy one with so much going on. So. Thank you for that comprehensive answer. I wonder why you think there's so much interest in perpetrator interventions. And again, I'd like you to tease out 
from those three aspects of your work, your education, your research, your practice connections and and the activities you're doing there, why this interest? I'm not sure of the answer to that, Colleen, and this is just my perspective. I suspect that um, in government circles, funding bodies, um, in the domestic and family violence sector itself, there's a a sense that we've been band-aiding the problem, that that we've been focusing um, for so long on on protecting victims and victim safety, and um, that's so important, of course, but that's only part of, of, of our preventative measures and our protection measures. I think what we're doing now is we're, we're, we're getting to this point where we're understanding that all our work up to now has been useful in protecting victims, but the problem doesn't seem to be going away. The problem doesn't seem to be ameliorated. So I think we're realising that if we don't lay the responsibility for violence, abuse, coercive control at the feet of the perpetrator, we are in a way, excusing, colluding, if not condoning that behaviour. Um, we are not in the long run protecting victim survivors. Um, we are just band-aiding the situation. And, uh, you know, our fatality rates, our hospitalisation rates are still very high, our, our, especially in Queensland. You know, our call-outs for service with QPS are... Um, last year around that 120,000 so so the penny's dropping i think that we actually need to focus on the cause of the problem and that is men's violence to women and children and if we don't do that effectively then we're not going to contribute to to changing the statistics to making things better for women and children so you see that problem that significant problem in our community cascading then to have it have implications for education, research and practice? Definitely, definitely. Um, because I think we're becoming more and more aware of, of how this work with domestic and family violence perpetrators is specialised work and it's not the sort of training people get in undergraduate degrees to do this work. And, um, you know, there's been a number of calls uh, across different organisations and different bodies to include domestic and family violence practice training in social work, undergraduate degrees, psych undergraduate degrees, human service undergraduate degrees. And I think, you know, we're only one of a a handful of, of universities doing this kind of training across Australia. And we know that we need a, a skilled, a competent, an educated workforce to work in this specialised area of, of men's behaviour change and men's domestic violence intervention. So it's, it's becoming more and more apparent that it's a specialised area. It's an area which undergraduate programs don't train for specifically. So... If we are going to have a sufficient skilled workforce to work with men and and, um, men's programs and men's interventions, then we really need to 
increased numbers coming through our training programs here at CQU, especially. Um, we are one of the, I think, only two programs in Australia running facilitation, a grad cert in facilitating men's behaviour change. So if we don't have that training, if we don't have that ongoing education, then we're going to struggle to meet the recruitment needs of the sector in working with these men. And obviously, this education is linked with research and draws on research. And obviously, the, the need for more research in this area is something that you're passionate about too. Exactly. We, we would hope that any intervention in this sector is going to be based on evidence from research. But I'm also a big believer that we need to be speaking with practitioners, facilitators, who work with men, and instead of you know just focusing on evidence-based practice, um, another flip side to that is practice-based evidence. So, what are our, our our people who are working with these men learning from this work? And I think we really need to access their wisdom and expertise and experience in that space. So, I would love to see some kind of centre devoted to working with um, interventions for male perpetrators of domestic and family violence and, and really beef up the research in, in that space in terms of our uh, informing our interventions, our, our programs, our case management, our supervision and monitoring of these men while they're on our programs. That's a very grand ambition, Brian. So what do you think is working well in this area? And again, thinking about the research, education, practice nexus. Well, I, I, think, I think we are graduating students from our programs who have a practice focus informed by the research and, and the theory. And certainly... I'm seeing very high quality student work in our program, which gives me much hope. I'm also um, in my engagement with services in regards to supervision, I'm seeing very skilled facilitators working with men, um, often under-resourced and um, struggling with the challenges in that work in terms of how that work fits in with the entire system, but nevertheless doing very competent work with men and very accountable work with men. So that, um, that gives me much hope um, in terms of that um, group intervention with men. Um, obviously, there's a whole lot of challenges and a whole lot of areas which we need to focus on to improve that work, but um, I, I think we should give credit where credit is due. And I think you know there's a um, there's a um, an awakening at at the policy level and at the government level that um, you know with with recent initiatives this year in terms of the National Summit on Women's Safety and and other other uh, forums similar to that where the focus has included um, working with men. Brian, it's good to hear that you're so uh, upbeat about the quality of the work that's happening out there. You alluded to challenges, though, and I wonder if you could share what you see as the key challenges for practitioners who are out there working at the coalface in this work. 
I think the key challenges are how to embed men's programs more accountably and effectively into our systemic responses and how to make sure that our programs are connected to courts, have, have good relationships with police and probation and parole, have um, a really strong working relationship with child safety and, um, and have referral bases that are resources to men's programs, in, including AOD, mental health, um, employment support for, for many men. We know that many of these men on our programs have um, multiple issues um, which are connected maybe or, or contribute to their violence and abuse. And I think programs need to be able to um, refer to these adjunct services for, for, for men supporting their change. But, um, you know, that requires resources too. And, and I can see a space and a place for um, case coordinators to be working conjointly with men's programs because facilitators don't have the time or the funding to do that case coordination and to ensure that men are followed up and supervised so that they do attend drug and alcohol pro programs if they're referred to that, if they're court ordered to that. Um, we need to make sure that men get any mental health counselling that they may need um, to not only support their change in domestic and family violence, but to ensure that they complete the program they've been um, ordered to. I think there are challenges around, I would like to see far more consequences for non-compliance. And, and that may be as simple as courts offering judicial monitoring. So the courts monitor the man's attendance at program, the men's behaviour on the program, the men's completion um, of that program. Because um, at the moment, you know, we know that there are men who are ordered to programs who never front, who men are ordered to programs who might turn up a couple of times and then they drop off the radar, uh, men who never complete programs. And we know that that contributes to their risk. And yet at the moment, there does not appear to me at least um, much monitoring of, of that non-compliance. And that could be a, a, simple, uh, um, a simple thing that courts could offer, judicial monitoring, which would support men's programs, I would think. And, and you know, the research would suggest that um, initiative alone um, has shown to help men complete programs. Thanks, Brian. So you've talked about what you would like to see. Oh, only partly, Colleen. Oh, yes, only partly. Well, I'm not sure we've got an episode long enough for, for all the things you'd like to see. But that brings us to the closure of this episode of The Bulb because we're all about shining light. What do you see ahead? And, again, thinking about this education, research, practice, space? Well, I think there's a, 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 a couple of initiatives which I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about. Um, one is a, um, an intervention called Focus Deterrence, which is a, a project and a pilot is being taken up by the federal government with um, 
the Australian Institute of Criminology, which uh, is a police-driven initiative in support, supported by um, community and, and um, interventions from the community. So, so working together there. I think what excites me about it is that we have a, um, a system, a systemic response, criminal justice response, plus the human service response, working hand in hand, and that the um, research around that, I will think if it follows the American research in that regard, will we'll have, have a, glowing, a glowing support for, for that initiative. So in, in um, trying to make this a succinct answer, I think in this work, the, the training, the education, the practice and the research, because we're such a young field in many ways, I mean, let's face it, domestic and family violence research work is really probably, you know, maybe 40, 30 years um, and, and at best old. So that's not a long history. So there's so much we don't know. There's so much we need to know. And that's why, you know, training, research and practice really um, is, is an exciting nexus in itself, um, to use your initial term, um, because of the, the possibilities that it offers to, to progress the work with, with um, domestic and family violence perpetrators and, and victim survivors too. Brian, I'm going to add a little prompt there because one of the other themes that's coming through is the question of technology. And I believe that when it comes to education and integrating the findings from research and practice into education, one of the one of the changes that we do know ahead is ahead is this move to hyperflexible learning for our learners, recognizing the, the busy nature of people who are enrolling in these courses. Is that correct? Well, the majority of our students would be um, working in the sector or alongside the sector in some form or other already. So they're busy. Um, many of them have families. And what this hyper-flexible um, innovation at CQU is going to do for them, I think, is uh, give them more control over their learning, that they can set their schedule, that they can um, do the learning at their pace and um, that that learning will be a, a more economical and efficient way for, for students to negotiate, I should think, Colleen. And considering that um, March next year will be our launch date for this, it's, it's very exciting. And um, we, are, we are hopeful that it will meet the needs of, of potential students out there and that it will be very encouraging and um, exciting for students to be a part of this. Brian, it's always exciting to have a conversation with you and I think we could probably natter away all day long, but we can't. So that brings this episode of The Bulk to a close and I say with great sincerity and appreciation, thank you, Brian Sullivan, for joining us on The Bulk today. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity, Colleen. I enjoyed it immensely. Cheers. It's a, it's a tall order to move men towards substantial, significant transformation in the space of 16 weeks, as many programs are funded for 16 weeks. Some are longer, 24 weeks, 25 weeks. But um, 
you know, I think when we're looking at high-risk perpetrators, um, 16 weeks is just lifting the lid for these men and, and, and just beginning the work. I think for high-risk men, we need um, more intensive programming and more intensive supervision and monitoring. And that means, I should think, um, more sessions, more program sessions for these men. Whether it equates to longer weeks or more weeks or more sessions in any one week is, is um, up for discussion. But I think really in, in terms of, of, of supporting the, the very well-intentioned work that facilitators and programs have, I think having longer-term programs for many men is, is critical. And I think, you know, as I said before, just to reiterate, that idea of having someone employed with programs who's like a case coordinator for these men and oversees their, their um, participation in other interventions or other sources of need that they may have. So that obviously is going to require extra resourcing and, and I should think extra funding. Um, and, and, you know, we would have to, of course, um, present a, a strong evidence-based approach for that to meet that challenge. We hope you found this edition of The Bulb Enlightening. If you'd like to know more about our work, please visit noviolence.org.au. For victims and survivors of gendered violence who may have found the content of this podcast disturbing, free, confidential 24-hour counselling is available nationally on 1800 737 732 through 1800RESPECT. If you would like to know more about responding to domestic and family violence, CQ University offers a range of postgraduate and other study options. Visit cqu.edu.au and search courses for domestic violence to learn more.